Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. This week, I'm going to try and keep our intro a little bit short because we're talking about listening to God's voice. And actually, that's a more complicated subject than you might think. We're going to talk about the nature of the scriptures. How do we know if it's God's voice or not God's voice? We're going to deal with some tricky questions that people also submitted about this. Um, And yeah, it's a long episode, but hang in there because I hope that this helps you start to frame the breadth and the width of this complicated subject of hearing God's voice in our everyday lives. So let's tune in. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Red Couch Theology. I don't know why I'm saying it like that. I always do a pre-intro intro anyway. It says that exact same thing. So why am I... Alice, can you start talking now? Yeah, yes, I can very quickly. <laughs> I don't even have a microphone in me. And the bizarre thing is, like, I don't know if we're allowed to say this, but this is actually not filmed live for once, which it almost did. Well, it's filmed live. I so guess. we have the opportunity of we making it perfect. Actually, can make it really like smooth. <laughs> and we're, this this might be the least smooth entry to a podcast we've done in a long time. Yeah, yeah. This is evidence of how lazy I am well, as our <laughs> producer for this podcast. Is like. Nope, what you see is what you get. We're much better when the pressure is on than when it's not on. <laughs> so um, this should be interesting also because you're a little bit sleep deprived. So I'm a lot sleep deprived. I've been sleep deprived for 10 years and it seemed to work out so fine so far. Yeah, I, yeah. I think what's going to be interesting is like once you're not sleep deprived, you might de- develop a seventh sense. <laughs> like suddenly you're like, telepathy yeah. wakens up or something or i'll you... be like super high achiever like i'll turn into this monster <laughs> uh, and all the guys on staff would be like oh wow can we have the sleep deprived <laughs> you know mellow him out a little <laughs> bit someone go wake him up in the middle of the know. night that's my because his uh I think we're gonna be okay yeah all right well today we're actually beginning uh to talk about the new series called listening to god and Uh, You shared a message on Sunday sort of setting up the series Mm. as well as entering into the subject a little bit through a passage. And so um, maybe give us a quick overview of where you took the message this past Sunday. So so I think if anything, like where the message went was primarily centered around who God speaks to. Um, Because I think that there's maybe like an honest anxiety moment that most of us might have that would go something like, if I was God, I probably wouldn't be the sort of person that I would speak to. <laughs> like, like it feels like it's for the the people that wear suits in church, maybe, or the people that like, you know, get up early and arrive with a big Bible in hand and stuff like that. Like the, there's like, the feels like, I, I mean, I, that was my experience of growing up in church. I'd look at people and be like, you look like someone that God would speak to. <laughs> God bases all of his conversations upon looks. Yeah, or at least like just how intention or whatever is represented in looks. Like they would turn up with this, yeah, huge. This one guy that used to turn up and he's he used to carry his Bible in a box. Like I'm talking, it was like you know two foot long and a foot and a half wide, and he'd have this huge thing. I think it was called the Sword of the Spirit Bible. They'd like smack it down on the table and open it up, and like it just. I, I may be in a different camp. I think that God doesn't speak to that guy kind of person. Um, it's the it's like the the super humble person who doesn't expect to hear God's voice. That maybe uh, maybe I'm getting off subject here, but no, I don't think you are. And if you are, I think it's in a good way. I, I do think yes, there was a certain obnoxiousness <laughs> to that. I I remember in seminary there'd always be the students that like knew who all the right commentaries were written by. And I think I came out of seminary, like learning all that stuff. But we'd we'd have a like a class, and um, the you know the one guy would be like, "Oh, it's on Corinthians. Oh, I suppose we're going to be using Gordon Fee for the commentary." Like, I already hate you, like <laughs> or dislike you. Um, uh, and there is like this certain level of like showing off to that, maybe I don't know. But I do think I had this sense of who God spoke to when I was younger. And I didn't always feel like I fit the bill for that, even though actually when you track through huge passages, of a huge subset of scripture, the, the times where God seems to speak don't seem to correlate at all to good behavior. 
God speaks to Moses right after he kills someone, speaks to David right after he commits adultery, speaks to all of these people right after they've done some pretty awful stuff. Um, so I don't know that there's a correlation there, really. Yeah. Um, and certainly in the New Testament, it seems like anyone who takes the time to listen can can hear well. Yeah, so, I, you know, I have this theory about this particular series slash subject, and it's that it's a much more scary, uh, theologically risky subject than people might think at face value. We should have told me that a few weeks ago. I know. I just... <laughs> so, like, I think you say, yeah, hearing, you know, let's pray and hear God's voice and cool. Mm -hmm. People may, there may be some outliers that out there that have like a really strong theological bent that know you know, they might be called what some folks would call cessationists, or mm. um, they might have this uh, perspective that God only speaks through the scriptures mm. and that God doesn't continually speak mm -hmm. any in any other way. So they may instantly like say, no, that's not how this works. But for the, for the average follower of Jesus, I think they'd say, yeah, okay, let's hear God's voice. But then if you start to dig under the surface, the implications of that and the complexities of of how do you know if it's his voice versus the pizza I ate last night? How do you know uh, there was this story that I heard that went poorly and then that story that I yeah. heard, and you even opened the message that way. And so I feel like it's one of those subjects that people might come in to listen to a sermon. And they're like, yeah, cool. We're going to hear about this. Cool. Yeah, great. And then as you start digging, it's like, oh, no, yeah. this is terrifying. There's actually implications that... Um, both positively and negatively could affect us in in the world. So, and, th and th that I think is, is maybe where I started. I did start with two stories like that were very similar, at least in my understanding of them. That one seems like a real positive outcome, one seems seems like a real negative outcome. Yeah, give us an overview of those. One was how I met my wife. So I uh, was in Bulgaria speaking at a conference, walked into a room, and God said, "That's the woman you're going to marry now." One of the things I had to process through that, and I at least had the emotional intelligence to process, was, which is a miracle at 25 or whatever, um, 25 a male. <laughs> One of the things I had to process was, I'm at a time in my life where I'd love to hear God say something like this. So, like, again, like, the possibility that you can create something yourself increases when it's something that you want. So, of course, I saw a beautiful young woman and, like, want the fairy tale story. And so, like, that was something that I had to be aware of. Um, one of the things that actually encouraged me was, I've often joked, I didn't actually realize how um, beautiful Laura is until sometime later when someone pointed it out to me because I was very much just caught up in that, like, this feels like God speaking and and we'd have these conversations that just we, we really connected over. And it was only when a friend said, oh, wow, Alex, she's really beautiful. I was like, oh, yeah, like that feels like I, I only just noticed. Um, so, so like that, there were a couple of things that helped me think maybe it's not just um, not just a natural reaction to running into someone you feel attracted to. But then the other story was of someone in a very similar situation who had a beautiful young lady walk into the church he was an elder in and he was twice her age, but he said, he went up to her and said, God says we're supposed to get married. She was brand new to faith. And she kind of said, well, yeah, if you think so, you must know. Um, so she went along with it and it was a disaster. So I, I think there are like stories that are similar that you're like, yes, one feels okay, maybe, but, but maybe you even have a problem with my story. Um, and that's okay. The other one, it feels kind of either icky or feels kind of like, no, that, that feels manipulative. That feels broken. That feels like spiritual abuse. And yet the stories aren't that far apart from each other. Um, and so I think you're right. It throws in a whole bunch of minefields. That's why I actually went with the, the line, it, hearing from God, at least in theory, changes a lot. It, it uh, brings a lot of clarity to situations. It also is a massively complex issue. Um, and And it seems is open to error, may require practice. Um, I actually have some wonderful stories about 
growing up in the Pentecostal church, watching young pastors try and operate in that like space of listening to God for people. Uh, and one of the guys I was close with felt like God was asking him to go and pray for this lady. And he went up to pray for her and he said, God says that you have two sons. And she kind of looked at him and said, oh no, I've, I've never been able to have children. Uh, and he kind of tried again. And he said, well, uh, no, no, they're like spiritual sons. And she's like, no, that doesn't seem like me at all. Like I don't really like resonate with that. I don't talk like, to men in any yeah. way, shape or form. And it was just yeah. this descent into like awfulness. Um, and, you know, fortunately, I think he had the confidence to try again, but it, it certainly shows how even with good intentions, it, 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 there can be some error there. Yeah, well, all right. So you said, well, fortunately, he had the guts to try again. Well, why would he try again if he didn't? So, like... So, I th well, at least, yeah, maybe guts is the wrong word. At least he had the... He recognized that there was no reason that you would have to be right the first time you tried to do something like that. And, and I think that, like, I mean, even if you think about, like, when we try and communicate with each other, even if even our communication with each other is flawed. Um, I was actually listening to someone the other day talk about body language and um, words, word choice in, an, in a message or a conversation, and it's, what, 10% is word choice? And all of the rest of it is intuited by body language, by tone of voice and everything. So even like with each other, we we recognize like you let, you get married to someone and communication is tough at times because you have different ways of connecting and so. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be tough trying to communicate with an, an, an invisible God? Yeah. Um, so, so, all right, so... Maybe let's back up because we're we are you can already tell we're already starting from this pre premise that God does still speak today. Yeah. So maybe that premise needs to be defended slightly before <laughs> we enter into the rest of the series because there's some, like we already hinted at, who may say no, absolutely, like He does not do that anymore. Yeah, and and I think I don't know that that's like an unfair theological. Oh. Yeah. Thanks, Siri. What did she find? What did Siri find? What Shakira is really saying. <laughs> <laughs> what does it have? What does it? What say? part of our conversation related know. to Shakira? Okay, sorry. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's some people that think Shakira is some kind of divine being, but it's in the Christian mainstream. Um, thanks, Siri. Thanks, Siri. That was super helpful. Um, so, so again, it's not that that's not a completely unfair theological point of view even though it's not mine but the struggle with really embracing god only speaks within scripture and only that way like that's the cutoff point is well, it's not till about 350 ad that those final books are put together as scripture so again doesn't doesn't change the fact that you can be 100 percent right that those are the right books you still have to believe god spoke to the people in 350 ad to confirm that so, like, your cutoff is never, like, the books. It's always the people that put the books together. So your cutoff, then, is, like, 350 AD instead of 97 AD or whenever John's Gospel or Revelation were written. So, so that's a weird point to get to and be like, yeah, 350 AD, everything's good. And then suddenly a group of people hear these are the right books for Scripture, and then we're done. Like that, that like makes me raise some questions about why would that be the case? Because you're not just talking about just the the age of apostles or the age of like the New Testament church or something. You, you're now way later. Um, yeah. Into the into the world of like what we'd call Christendom, like suddenly Christianity as the dominant global religion or increasingly the dominant global religion. Um, why would there be a cutoff there? So, so, so one, there's nothing really, I, I would say, that's an easy grab in scripture that says, oh, a cutoff's coming, expect it. In actual fact, if anything, it's just the opposite. Um, so then, all right, second question then. Okay, if there isn't a hard cutoff, then why don't we just add more books to the Bible? Again, yeah, that's a trust thing, right? I, I mean, it really is. 
So, so I think when they came up with frameworks for the books to the Bible, the, the general framework was one of Jesus' 12 early followers had to be involved in it in some way, or the person had to be deeply connected to the New Testament church. So there was, there was like a, a, a historic connection. Like even with Jude, the, the, like the final letter before Revelation, the connection was, well, this is Jesus' brother. Um, and he was part of this New Testament church. With James, like there's, there's the connection. There's the, there's the kind of this makes sense. So once those people aren't around anymore, it, it becomes a lot easier, I think, to look at it practically and say that doesn't feel like the same connection anymore. Yeah, um, and this, this episode is probably not able to be broad enough to go into a full exploration of canonization because there's a whole process for the old testament yeah. canonization there's a whole process for the new testament canonization so it's it's like the awkward part sometimes is and i remember as a like very intellectual 19 year old i went to my youth pastor and said what's going on with this like how would we even know these books were the right books and like who decides that anyway and why was it fair for them to decide it and how did they know better than the people before them and like, what about the books that were contentious? And what about, like, isn't Martin Luther, like, some kind of, like, apostle to our denomination? Why doesn't he get to cut books out that he doesn't like? And, and so there's so many questions. Um, and, and so there's been people that have said Revelation shouldn't be there. People have said James shouldn't be there. People that have tried to get rid of multiple different books. Um, yeah, uh, and, and it's, a, it's been a hotly debated thing in church history, um, so what he said, as, yeah, what yeah. he said to me in the end was, it kind of comes down to a trust issue. And at the time, I was like, that feels deeply unsatisfying. And then as I kind of processed it over maybe even years, I kind of got to the point of, yeah, it's kind of a trust issue. <laughs> um, like somehow you 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 trust that the God of the universe is navigating some of these bigger things that that seem very human on the surface is navigating them where they need to go. And that the the Bible we have in front of us is good enough for what it's supposed to do. And that that's where the Bible's fascinating because there are words we use about it that it doesn't use about itself. Like what? So so uh, the Bible we we might say it's inerrant now it can be, but it never says it is. So we've picked that up from somewhere else because there's nowhere in scripture that it says it's inerrant. It says it's profitable for teaching. It says that it's God-breathed. But that's an extrapolation we generally make from that. Oh, it, it's inerrant because of those type of things. And, and even then, like, that's been divided into two different groups. One that said it has every piece of information you ever need about anything. And another that said it has every piece of information you need for the life of faith. And those are two different things. Yeah. There, there's people that have said that anything it says cannot be wrong about any subject. And other people have said, no, it can't be wrong about any subject to do with faith. Um, uh, and so if, if the Bible describes a geographic, ge geographical location as been somewhere that it isn't, which is right, like our, our ability to go there and say, no, this isn't even here. Or does the Bible saying it make it right? Like there's a whole bunch of different ways to understand that word. Yeah. And, and so I don't actually mind people saying the Bible's inerrant at all. I, I can I can get on board like with words like inspired and authority. Um, God breathed, yeah. But the, the, the problem is, uh, and God breathed is, is maybe different to that because that's that's very much how it describes itself. Yes. So that that's like a good that's word. That's what it describes yeah, itself yeah, 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 as, yeah. is God breathed. So, so the, yeah. like, let's take the word authority. There's definitely times where the Bible is talking authoritatively and knows it is. Yep. And the writer knows it is. And then there's definitely times where it doesn't seem to be doing that. And there's only maybe one or two times it, it verbally claims that. So, so the struggle with over-focusing on those words is there's things that the Bible definitely regularly says that it's doing that we miss out because we're obsessed with other words. Yes. So, so the Bible really regularly like talks about itself as faithful witness. Like, like Luke does that. Like he says, Theophilus, this is a faithful account of everything that you've heard. 
I wanted to go back from the very beginning and make sure you had all of the information. Yeah. So like sometimes our word authority might overlap the idea of faithful witness, but actually know that the express intent of the writer and therefore of scripture itself is like, no, no, this is supposed to be a faithful account. You're supposed to be able to trust it. Yes. Uh, that's a big deal. Yes. And so this is so already, we're trying to get to the subject of listening to God's voice and like, Right off the bat, we're having to go into a deep dive on textual criticism yeah. and bibliology, like because the here's what the scary thing is about this subject, and this actually applies to how we read the Bible too, because um, it seems to be, uh, and maybe you've even experienced this if you've ever tried to read the Bible in any depth. It seems to be. Like it demands a little bit of spiritual awakening to even interpret the text. Yes. And so there's like, so then how, where there, it feels a little bit scary for, I think, for a lot of people. Totally. Myself included at times where you're like, well, some someone's just got to say what's right, what's wrong. I'm just trying to figure out should I do this thing or shouldn't I do this thing? Is this good or bad? Is this evil or okay? And, and so then you say, all right, well, I'm going to try and find the authority. And then you go to the text. And if you know the backstory about the text, you're like, well, but then like your question to your youth pastor, okay, there's all this tension and confusion and fear. And it seems like God's a little bit more comfortable we are than we are with um, allowing his communication to humanity, both through the text and through spiritual listening or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. He just seems really comfortable with some of that tension. Totally. And, and We're not I, comfortable and I would with it. say, like, we, we, we touched on this super briefly. I would say the primary way God speaks to humans is through the, the scriptures. Totally. Like, I mean, that's like the, like, um, go-to method. Now, again, for, <laughs> for a whole bunch of people, what that, whether they phrase it like this, what that has come to sound like is, if I just flip it open and stick a finger on a text, like that, that's God speaking to me. And of course, the, the illustration that's been used that makes that super dangerous is like someone flicks it open and says Judas went out and hung himself. And he flips it over again because he says that can't be God speaking. And he puts it on another verse that says, so go thou and do likewise. Like you, you kind of like... <laughs> do it quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah do it quickly. Right, yeah. Like you can really... Like that, that's an example that's supposed to be absurd. Um, but it's absurd because the, that practice is absurd. So any kind of like learning to read the Bible has to include some framework for, for answering big questions. Like a fun question, maybe if you answer to play with at home, um, is something like, are the words of Jesus within the text distinct over all the other words? So if the Bible's God's word, like, do Jesus' words carry a different weight, or are they just part of the whole? Now, now, there's a couple of ways to answer that. Like, one is to just say, well, no, it's just the same as anything else. It's um, all authoritative. It's all authoritative. Yeah. It's all the word of God. The other what is happens say, when he starts to contradict? What happens yeah. when he starts to contradict? Yeah. It? The other is to say yeah. that when God chose to dwell as human flesh and to spend three years teaching humanity, he came to say something distinct. Um, that was different. And so, so the, there's, there's the danger that like in trying to have a, trying to claim this high view of scripture, like it's all the same and it's all the word of God. We find that we haven't developed a high view of scripture. We've just developed a low view of Jesus. Um, like we don't believe that God's son living on earth is saying something distinct. Yeah. There's a else. reason red letter Bibles exist. Yes. It's because someone along the publishing decided, well, we should highlight Jesus's words because they're probably the most important. Yeah, and they made that decision. Uh, now you can disagree with that decision, but there's a that's a a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to focus on the red letters or yeah, you know, whatever, because they're saying that's actually the clearest expression of communication. Which even the scriptures start to hint that it's it's that way that yeah. Jesus is the is the fullest revelation of what God is like, and then, and then yeah. so like the, there's there's the even our own like minds when we read say no there's some parts that speak in a different way like if i say to you read matthew 21 17 he went out of the city into bethany and he lodged there for the night 
does that have the same importance as John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Like, like we, we take those two and even our own like humanity fails. There's some important information in that one that's not quite the same as the information in the other one. Yes, it may be very important to know that Jesus enjoyed a good night's sleep and that one time he went to Bethany or to do that. Yeah, or contextually, it's going to set up a new, another story in a minute uh-huh. that is going to be really... But that verse in and of itself... Just to pull it out, it doesn't have the same importance. And even like one of the fascinating things with John 3.16 itself is for however many years, almost every red-letter Bible included that in the red letters. It was Jesus' statement about himself. And in the last probably maybe five to ten years, now there's more people that put it as John's words about Jesus. So the red letters end at John 3, 14. Interesting. And even just reading it, it feels different to read it as John's words versus Jesus' own words about himself. I I read it now, I'm like, no, I want it to be read. I want Jesus to have said this about himself for some reason. Um, yeah, cause it reads different. Cause I read Jesus words different to everybody else because Jesus is the only one that I've chosen to follow. Um, yeah, all the other apostles. Yeah. They were great in as much as they helped me understand Jesus, yeah, you yeah. know, but yeah, that's super fascinating. So, so we're trying again, we're trying to get to the subject of hearing God's voice for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to muddle, wade our way through, um, through the subject of the scriptures because, the scriptures are um, this barometer, this plumb line that helps us determine whether what we're hearing from God directly is accurate and in alignment with Him. And, and, um, and I think I would add to that, like, the scriptures show us what God is like. Yes. So so I talked really yeah. briefly about this fra- this phase of life, which wasn't as long as I wish it had been, where I just read the Bible loads. I mean, like, I just would sit and, like, read, like, morning and evening, chapter after chapter after chapter. Um, and people would come up to me and be like, oh, my goodness, there's, like, something different about you. It's like you're, like you're walking on air. Um, and I'm like, that's the only thing I've got, the only thing I, I can explain that by. Um, and yet what I also experienced in that time is that, like, God would speak to me and it would reflect different verses that I'd read. And it almost felt like it unlocked this opportunity for me to know him speaking in ways that I wouldn't have known had I not engaged with the the faithful witness of Scripture that said, no, this is what God's like. Yes. Now, could he have done? I guess. But it didn't seem like he did. Yeah. Um, So there's almost like a, it's almost like a a code that unlocks some of that to me. Yeah. So before we continue and maybe we need to focus more our time on the actual listening and then we actually had some questions that were submitted um this week uh on the subject but don't hear us saying that we're like undermining the scriptures oh man not at all i think like if anything the more i've learned about the complexity of canonization of textual criticism of like i mean i'm i'm in a class right now we just did this super deep dive into the canonization of the old testament and it's like it's a tricky, complicated process, and by the end, you come out thinking like, "The scriptures are just beautiful mm. and good," and ha- and went through this crucible that's very complicated, yeah, very, very messy, and yet the church has vetted this text, totally. and the Holy Spirit has vetted this text in some powerful, powerful ways. Anyway, so don't hear us mm-hmm. saying that we're undermining the scriptures in any way, shape, or form. Well. What we are saying is that, um, and, and I think that this the text is, um, it's more beautiful to me than ever. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yet totally. more complicated than mm-hmm. ever, and that actually gives me more endearing thoughts about God's kindness and goodness to communicate Absolutely. to His people through this text. Yeah, I don't know. So, but we probably should get to some of the subjects. Um, around hearing God's voice. So um, that was our attempt to say, we do think he continues to speak. He speaks through his text. He enlightens his scriptures, Mm -hmm. but then he also speaks through this still small voice that you talked about in Sunday. So could you, could you unpack some of that 
story a little bit and where you went oh, with man, the message, yeah, and wow. then we can We've get. Got to do all of that. That's a lot. No, um, just just fly over. Okay, just to fly over. So, uh, in a book, First Kings, uh, Old Testament narrative, there is a, a chunk that runs maybe from chapter sixteen, verse. Uh, it's a couple of verses before the end. So, is that verse maybe thirty-seven or something like that? Um, trying to pull it up here widow da, 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 da. Eight, well i'm already in 18 i'm scrolling way too fast yeah, yeah you gotta go back up you gotta go back up All chapter right. 16 maybe like verse like 27 is it 26 something like that oh yeah first kid 16 yeah, yeah, there we go 25 like that's the back end so that introduces ahab as this king that takes over from his father Omri. Omri is a big deal king. He's, um, in actual fact, like in, in ancient Near East, like he starts getting referred to as it's the house of Omri. Like he becomes more significant than David. He expands Israel as a kingdom, all these different things. Like this guy's a bit of a rock star, even though he hardly gets mentioned in Bible in the Bible. And, and what gets mentioned about him within scripture is that he's a bad king. Not because he wasn't successful on the surface, but because he didn't follow the ways uh, of Yahweh as David had. And then uh, Ahab replaces him. He's even worse. Uh, and so as often happens, God raises, raises up a prophet to, to counteract some of that. And, and this prophet is Elijah. So Elijah's like a big name within uh, Old Testament's thought. He's He's also really a big name in terms of when we get to Jesus' time, like, the Passover feast traditionally has included a seat for Elijah. Jesus refers to John the Baptist as the Elijah who was to come. Like there's this idea that that's pretty ever present, but he only has like three chapters of narrative. It's not a very much at all. Um, but they're pretty, but they're, yeah, <laughs> they're, but they're pretty again, loud. Chapters, yeah. They're pretty but... loud chapters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he sets up this almost battle of the gods, um, almost like stage theater. There's, there's Baal, the God that has been adopted by the, the people of Israel, especially by Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. Uh, and then there's Yahweh, the God of Israel. Uh, and, and he sets all of this up as the showdown on Baal's terms. So he says, I'm going to stop it raining. I'm going to pray. God's going to stop the rain. And Baal's the storm God. If he's God, he can make it rain. And for three years, he doesn't. And so then there's this final picture. He sets up this moment on Mount Carmel where he says, right, okay, we're going to have this test. The God who answers by fire, another one of Baal's traits, uh, let him be the true God. And, and again, Baal is silent. That silence is very important. It's the silence of absence. Um, and nothing happens. And then Elijah prays, the fire comes down. The offering is consumed. Yahweh is the true God. Elijah's vindicated. Uh, and then now vindicated and terrified because Jezebel wants to kill him again there's a whole bunch of like weirdness to the text because jezebel already wanted to kill him yeah and didn't bother him before but now he's for whatever reason he's like yeah he's a mess lots of tangents you could take into like psychology so what i would say and... is there's so many readings of this text totally. like like one reading would be the 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 whole mount carmel scene with the fire is elijah acting in arrogance um it's actually not really acting in any relationship with God whatsoever. It's simply him. And God is faithful anyway. And, and it's not until you get to Mount Horeb where he experiences the thing we're about to talk about that it actually becomes a relational thing. But it's like, so, so that, that reading would almost call this like the taming of Elijah because it, it, it reduces him to nothing in order to build him back up. So he has this moment of triumph, at least on the surface. Everything goes well. He runs away. He starts complaining about he's the only one left. Everything's terrible. Ends up on Horeb, also known as Sinai, this old mountain where the Israelites have first encountered the God of Israel in fire, in earthquakes, in big sounds, just like on Carmel, like classic Israel God encounter moment. Everything's as it should be. And all of those things happen. Except in this version, God this is moment, not there, yeah. it says God wasn't in any of those things. So you've got all of the things that God's supposed to be in, historically has been in, has just been in, and now he's not in them. And so there's this almost like this, like this shock moment of theater of like, where is God? He's always in those things. He's always in the big production. 
and now he's not in the big production. And so the shift, like it's a brilliant artistic device. Doesn't make it not true, but brilliant like writing if someone wrote it. Because um, it then becomes this moment of silence, not like the silence on Carmel, because this is the silence of presence, which is a very different thing. Baal is silent because he's dead and was never alive. God is silent or the moment is silent, but God is very much present. And 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 again, like fascinating language use, qual de mama de qua, um, thin whispers, thin sounds, probably where we get the language of thin space for anyone that's kind of into any Celtic thinking of like this, the breakdown almost between the, the split between heaven and heaven earth. And earth. Yeah. It, it's almost disappearing at this point. Like there's a, the firmaments are breaking. You can almost put your hand through it. Um, and then it's only then that, that, that God speaks and, and Elijah. Well, we would he- translate, and maybe you've heard this term of still small voice, that, that thin, Th- the thin, thin, the thin sound, the thin quietness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, is it a voice? Maybe the, the hard part is with, with Hebrew is sound and voice are the same word. So when it talks about like, the earthquake, well, that has a sound or voice. When it talks about the wind, that has a sound or voice. So does the silence have a sound or voice? Maybe, but maybe not. And so the illustration I gave on Sunday was the, the grain. Like it's the yeah. thin language is, is literally like if you grind grain down to the finest you can. It's the sound of that almost just pouring. It's very quiet, distinct. Like you have to wait and notice it. And I think that language is really helpful for us. Because the potential is most of the time, hearing God's voice requires intentional listening. And we're yeah. not very good at that. Yeah. So, yeah, get into that a little bit more. So, your goal behind telling this story, like, again, we're in a series about how do we listen to God's voice. Why is this? What does this story tell us about the voice of God or how we are to listen? for the voice of God today in our everyday lives. So, uh, what, yeah, and, and I think what I tried to do to illustrate that on Sunday was to sort of ask questions around, well, what, what, do, what does earthquake, fire, wind mean to a 500 BC audience or, you know, even 250 AD, whenever this is like being more widely read? And then what might they mean to us? Because it's probably different things. Like, yeah, you know, for for them, it's the expectation probably of this is where God speaks. And then the, the counterintuitive, no, it's not where he speaks. For us, it's probably more easily reflective of just almost the incessantness of life. Uh, and and the, the noise, the noise the- of it. Um, and that, that's where sound and, and voice are, are really helpful. It's the, the, the preoccupation with everything. It's the ability of, uh, the world to just take over. There's a really great illustration actually in C.S. Lewis screw tape letters. Uh, he talks, you know, cause the whole language of screw tape letters is a senior devil writing to a junior devil and how to best keep his patient out of the way of Jesus. Uh, and and he he reminisces and tells a story of an old patient of his who um was sat in the british the british museum this place full of old history full of quiet full of stillness um and he said i suddenly noticed his mind going away i was really uncomfortable with starting to contemplate things i didn't want him to contemplate uh, and so what did i do i didn't panic i i simply reminded him he was hungry um and that was the thing I had best control of. And so he, he kind of started to say to him, well, it's time for lunch. Like, uh, and then he said another voice started to say to him, well, this is more important than lunch. And he said, my quick response was, well, too important, in fact. Like, you, you can't deal with these things on an empty stomach. And he said as soon as he got outside into the busy street and saw the number seven bus drive past and saw a guy whistling or selling papers or something like that, he's like, oh, this is real life. This is the stuff that really matters. When you're in silence and quiet, you might have all these weird ideas, but, but like this is the stuff you can rely on. Now, of course, it isn't the stuff you can rely on. Like the number seven bus doesn't mean anything. The paper doesn't mean anything, but it is enough to occupy us so much that any idea of like 
quiet and contemplation is very far from us. And we almost distrust mm. what we think and process during those times. When in actual fact, it seems like the argument of, of 1 Kings 19 is, no, that's the real thing. Like that's the, the possibility of bridging some divides or the breaking down of some divides between heaven and earth. Yeah. And so kind of the message for this week is this idea that if you if you want to hear his voice, you've got to make space to, for for that quiet stillness. And I'm so and bad at that. How do you find that? Because I, I I I've struggled more with it in the last several years than I have. Uh, in there was a season where I did a, a lot more listening prayer, and I was much better at it. And I do feel like I heard his voice mm. in 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 some significant ways. And now one of my one of my laments in my own personal walk with God is that I have this incessant, like I, I'm letting myself fill my brain with good things. Uh, yeah. Like distracting myself from various different life stresses with all sorts of good ideas and totally learning this or studying that or listening to an educational podcast, but it's just noise and it's, it's harder than it used to be. And it's, but it's easier, right? Like it's, when, when you're like, you're overworked or you're overtired or you're stressed about stuff, so much easier to just say, I'm going to throw this on and fill the space than let the space be empty. And yet at the same time, like one of my like little nudges is even if you're someone who say, I'm not really sure about God speaking about faith, there is a recognition that, that space and silence are, are important, even if it just creates that space and God isn't there to fill it. Actually, I just Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, was just asked, are you going to come back next year? And he says, I don't know. I'll tell you after my darkness retreat. And the guy goes, well, what's that? It's like, I just go into a space where there's just nothing. Uh, you know, it's just like me in a cabin in the dark. And that's when I'll know. Like, like, I mean, like, this is a guy with no particular description of faith, but he's yeah. like, for me to process, there can't be any of this stuff. Yeah. So even outside of God speaking into the absence, it seems like some people that function at a really high level are like, no, I need that. Well, and I think part of what's going on there is as, as spiritual beings created in the image of God, uh, so much of our everyday lives is is centered around and obsessed with what the, even the story you just said, I'm feeling hungry. Mm. That's like so much of our lives is, is actually animal life. Yeah. Our bodies, our interactions, our like cravings, mm -hmm. our, uh, we need to execute our sense of identity. All of these things are things that shockingly share similar agendas with the animals. I mean, even if you think about like, like young adult culture of like going out partying and stuff like that, it is almost entirely driven by like sexual desire. It's like, I can't think about anything else because this is my entire focus, which is so animalistic. Yeah. And, and because we're very complicated creatures, Okay, we said, so, well, no, mine's about work or, like, caring for my family or whatever. Yeah. And you say, well, yeah, as as social creatures, we prioritize our rankings based, uh, you know, in society and based upon... And hunter-gatherer instinct is, like, fairly central to... So, so this silence, this space is weirdly when the soul, uh -huh. this part, the imago Dei or image of God that... God has given us as human beings, this is what sets us apart from the animals, actually has enough margin to whisper mm -hmm. something. And that can sometimes be from God speaking to your soul or your spirit, or it can just be you hearing yourself for the first time in a long time. Totally. Because yeah. you're like uh, Dallas Willard says that the soul is the quietest member of the self. Mm. And yet the most wise, like, like the that. soul can actually tell you how you actually are doing mm. um and so that's just hearing your own cell soul so, yeah but it takes quiet and margin it and does. space and silence and and stuff and so if you want to hear god's voice maybe that's a great place to and start a really is this... simple practice tony campolo was someone i heard talk about this years ago and i used to be able to do it before i had kids that dragged me out of bed at four o'clock in the morning 
but he would say every morning when I wake up for five, just five minutes, I don't move. I don't reach for anything. I don't turn the radio on. I don't pick up my phone. I just lie there and just allow Jesus to cleanse me. Like that's the language he used. He said, I just lie there and I'm just like, like, God, like, would you cleanse me this morning? And would you meet with me this morning? And he said, like, he said he found it to start with like itchy, like I've got to move, I've got to move, I've got to move, I've got to move, I've got to move. And he said, now, like he said, I would not leave, I would not miss it for anything in the world. Yeah. That, and that's what's fascinating about um, silence. Uh, almost everyone that has any sense of like, like my own like ADD of like, I, I struggle to sit. Even when I'm praying with people, I have to walk around. Um, so many people have said when I started silence, it was so hard to do 45 seconds. And now I'm like addicted to the thing almost. I'm like, this is just so profound. Yeah, one of the highlights of my entire sabbatical was I did a seven-day silent retreat. I did too. I don't know how you did so. And yeah, and it was probably the most powerful seven days I'd experienced in a long time. Yeah. Because when you don't have to inject my agenda into the world with my voice uh -huh. and I am not trying to move anyone or, or sway their opinion about any subject <laughs> or, 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 yeah. And the only soul, the only being capable of interacting with me is God. Totally. It's amazing how the pipeline of communication can open. So, oh, and and I, I, came, I only did two days, but I came out. And I was like looking for a gas station. I wandered in, like there was a problem with something, like everything was slow. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Like <laughs> I'm just at this point so chilled out and like nothing seems that big a deal anymore. That's right. I mean, like half a day later, I'm like stomping on like horns and stuff like yeah. that. I'm like, get out of my way. But but coming out of it, I'm like, yeah, I just and, and I remember like being nervous going into it, but wanting to eke out every last minute of it. Because yeah. I just wanted to create that space for God to to speak, and so we have some questions about that. Yes, we that do. We because I have no idea how long we've been going. I want to say it's like forty minutes. Yeah, maybe forty-five. I'm like nervous that we're like an hour and a no, half no, right no, now. No, 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 we definitely we actually have multiple weeks of the series, so we, we should be okay. We can cover yeah, some more ground yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. But we, yeah. So yeah, what are our questions? So hopefully, yes. Yeah, so far, we're wetting the appetite for like yes for scripture and God speaking through it, but also speaking like specific things and elements <laughs> into our own life and some point we have to get to some personal stories of how god has spoken yeah, to yeah, us yeah. So, well yeah. i already told one so you've got to tell the next one. Oh. um <laughs> so, so i i think so one question that really intrigued me was are the seasons that god doesn't speak in um so like yes we talk about like the 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 i i tried to paint a picture of the regular and ordinariness of that but like, what about like desert experiences? What about like just like these even like famous writers have said, yeah, there were seasons in my life where it just was like God disappeared. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a whole term for this in the early church fathers. Mm -hmm. They referred to it as the dark night of the yeah, soul in a lot totally. of ways where they're just like, God is silent. Uh -huh. God is silent. God is silent. And yeah. So like, what's your, what's your answer to that? And then I can take a swing at Yeah. My... So, so I, I and, and I think, yeah, I'd be intrigued to hear what your answer is, because mine was a little bit more practical theology, like or, or almost like pastoral theology of, of why I phrased it the way I did. Um, so I think, one, there's a huge difference between the language of God used to speak to me, and then now I'm in a season where it feels like he doesn't, versus God's never spoken to me, and it doesn't matter at all. Like, so, so those are two very different things. Like, like in any church environment, I think in any faith organization centered around following Jesus, you get spectrums. And I've grown up in churches where the spectrum was like, almost like God speaks to me about every single detail. Um, and I felt like that was happening to me for a while. And it felt actually in the end, like, you know, I heard the vo voice of guilt. Like the voice huh. of God was almost like, no, you need to do this. No, you need to do this. No, you need to do this. It wasn't freedom. It was like, oh, there's a piece of litter on the floor. Yeah, pick up that piece of litter and put it in the trash. Like it was almost like, like guilt, 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 guilt. Yeah. Um, 
and so there's the certain like churches, denominations that swing that direction. And then there's the other one, which is like, yeah, God is not, it's almost deist. He's almost like, he yeah. gave us the Bible and he fled. Yeah. Um, and now you're on your own. You got the book, like get on with it. Perfect book. Consult yeah. that. So, so like when you're pastoring a community, you're trying to nudge people into that middle ground of healthy interactions with God. And so what I said in my response to this, as I was processing, it was like, well, if you were pastoring South, which would you think more people might fall into in our modern day church? And like probably the, the one where there's probably a lot of people that say, I don't think God's ever spoken to me. Uh, so trying to open the door to that is my focus rather than trying to stop people who are like, God speaks on every single detail. I don't think I need to worry too much about that. So, so when I talk about God not speaking and I've never heard him, that's the framework I'm talking about. I do think there are seasons where it feels like for people that have heard God regularly, there is almost like this withdrawal. Um, for, yeah. for some kind of reason of learning, of development. I, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've gone through seasons like that too where I felt like God was saying a lot of things and then almost felt like he pulled back. And again, these are very subjective ways of describing this. But, um, and I would actually say the thing that I experienced was slightly different than what you might describe as the dark night of the soul. Mm. Uh, for for a lot of those you know desert fathers and stuff, they describe that like heard him, heard him, heard him, heard him, and then went through this just extended mm -hmm. period of time where they just felt and cried out and longed and uh -huh. begged and pled for him to speak again, and then you know maybe eventually that came back. And um, but in in my experience, one of the things that I've noticed, I have this image maybe of the face of God when I experience this. There's times where I'll go to the Lord in prayer and what I would call list, like a listening prayer practice. And I'd say, Lord, is there anything you want to say about this issue? Mm -hmm. And I fill in the blank. And um, I almost picture his face going, you already know. Yeah. So actually the silence of God for me in in recent years, most of the time, it's because uh, it's almost like he's saying, how, how many years have we been doing this, Aaron? Mm -hmm. We've been doing this thing together. Mm -hmm. I've been walking with you. You've been walking with me. We've been doing this for a lot of years now, and you know the answer mm -hmm. because you know my kingdom. Yeah. You know my heart. You know my personality. You That's know the really right cool. answer. And the reason you're asking me is you don't want that answer. Yeah. And so it's usually this like fatherly smile grin <laughs> that's silent. And I don't hear that yeah. distinct voice per se, but I see the face of him. And if I'm honest with myself, he goes, just go, just go do your thing. Just yeah, go do, do the, the thing, thing you know that, you, to do. that you know. And I think you told, told, told a story once about paint your house. Like that was yeah, the, well, that was a different, that was, that was actually different. hearing his voice okay. in a different way. But yeah, so for me, I do think that there's moments of silence. And part of it is just because maybe he just knows my personality. So, and and he, I think this might be helpful in unlocking some of this. Like, I, I think for me, I can distinctly think of two different types of silence. There is the silence of my practices haven't changed. My lifestyle hasn't changed. I'm still doing the same things I was doing when God was speaking, still been faithful to the same things that I know or believe to be true. And there's, there might be a wilderness that's designed to teach me something. Or perhaps, like, as you described it, this, like, no, you know, um, it's permission. You keep going. Um, and then there's other times I can honestly say, like, as a confession, there's a silence, and I'm like, yeah, but, like, the practices I was doing, I just got too busy for them and I just dropped a lot of those things or yeah, this attitude that you've had with your wife or your kids or your way of pastoring a church, you know, you've not been in a good place with that. Um, and it's not that God is mad at me, but it's that I'm not putting my place self in the place to listen. So, so to take the analogy of like earthquake, wind and fire, in those moments, I'm like, I'm obsessed or absorbed in the fire and the earthquake and the wind. 
Like all my time is spent in those. Totally. And and so like with a bit of honest reflection, I can say, oh yeah, like <laughs> I definitely stopped the stillness and I definitely got obsessed with the other stuff. And I do think that uh, to, to that point, because I absolutely experienced that same exact thing. And so now it, a lot of the times when I experience the silence, it's more like, uh, it has very little to do with God's voice. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with me putting myself into positions and postures of listening yeah. than it has anything to do with whether he's wanting to or willing. It's almost like when I turn my face back towards God, he's ready and willing to engage in, in dialogue, but I've just been avoiding or... Mm -hmm. I know what you're going to talk about and it's too painful and I'm too scared of that subject. And so I'm just going to just keep on plowing ahead. Mm -hmm. And you know, almost it's most of it's me. Now where, where I think there's a huge like grace, like a, a learning of grace there. Like one of the cautions I would have there, I know my own personality. So when I can spot that, like, Oh yeah, you haven't really been putting that into practice. Like, like how I treat it is like a friend that I haven't called recently. Yes. So I'm like, oh man, I'm probably going to have to call a few times before they pick up because they're, they're probably kind of mad or I'm going to get some snark to start with or they're not going to really want to talk. And that just isn't how God is, uh, is wired. No. Like, it's just like, for him, it's more like the, oh, you came back. Like, I'm so excited. Like, it's just, there's a joy and a gladness. Now, there may be some repentance and some things to go on, but the idea that we have to almost earn back Totally. Like that thing of like, oh yeah, he's going to want me to be silent for a long time before that's actually not a framework that I think is. I don't think so either. Now I do think that my, there might be a, an atrophying of my listening yes, muscles. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to take the, but again, that's a me issue. Yeah. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah. He's kind of like behind, I think of myself walking down a path and he's like wanting to like have a uh -huh. conversation yeah. and I'm avoiding and avoiding, avoiding, but he's kind of like trying to like, <laughs> You know, this is the, these yeah. are kind of the images I get of how God, and then when I turn, you know, he's like, all right, let's get on with yeah, this yeah, conversation yeah. and this dialogue. There's this tenderness and grace and risk. But for me, most of it has to do with me putting in the practices mm -hmm. that enable me to encounter God's voice. Yeah. Okay. Second question. Uh, another great question. I actually made reference to the fact that God's voice always like doesn't contradict scripture. Yeah. Uh, and one question I got is, is that always true? So the example I gave concretely is like, um, I had a guy that was in ministry down the road from where I lived in, in England. And he just kind of randomly left his wife, found a much younger wife and said, God wanted me to be happy that he told me this is the wife he always wanted me to have. Now, like that seems contrary to scripture, but we do know, I know people that have like felt like, no, no, this marriage doesn't have anything left to play out. It's time to leave. And they felt like God, God was giving them permission to leave. Um, does that ever happen? Like, it, like, is there an example there that like, you know, lines up? Is there, like, is there any element that God says things that aren't, like, directly, um, that, that feel like, yeah, this seems like a, a proof text from Scripture you could give to say that was wrong? That's a, yeah. So I think the, this goes back to our treatment of Scripture and the interpretation of Scripture, huh? I think. And the complexity of interpreting Scripture is is that there's many times in scripture where God lays out an ideal first for a person or a people group. Yeah. And then they fail to that ideal. And then he comes in with an alternate method. Mm -hmm. That's maybe not as good as the yeah. ideal, but, um, but it's like his best redemption of the brokenness of this world. Mm. I mean, the, that happens all over the place in the scriptures and it's God's character of redemption of love mm. of all those sorts of things. And we could get into some examples about that. We've actually talked about some of those in past episodes, but um, God doesn't seem to be um, 
he's a he's a shepherd is an illustration he's we've talked about he's a father mm. he's a um a redeemer mm-hmm. oh, and so he's interacting with a broken humanity mm-hmm. that's making destructive decisions and then he's nurturing them into deeper and deeper yeah. levels of wholeness of what he originally designed us for so could god speak to someone and contradict scripture well no but uh in the in the more direct sense but then how do we interpret those texts what's the purpose of those texts which like are there examples within the scriptures where he contradicts himself on that totally on and on and on even like the subject of polygamy yeah is one of the the subjects that pops first into my mind like he says no like man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife like he sets up this uh monogamous relationship as the ideal and then he's like oh yeah but if one brother dies then the other one's got to marry him what if he's already married i don't care you need to do your duty and make sure she gets pregnant uh-huh. and you're like whoa and so much of that that like undergirding that seems to be god's passion that nobody get left behind or it goes uncared for in a community you know yeah like so the, which which one's the greater yeah. evil for example in that scenario is uh, you have a woman who, in this particular culture, she loses her husband. She has two options. She can either uh, go into prostitution uh-huh. to survive, yeah. or she can join into a polygamous, polygamous yeah. marriage, which is, according to Scripture, is absolutely not the ideal. Uh-huh. And totally. there's tons of examples of why it gets real messy. Yeah, and yeah. It's a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Polygamy is. But it was... God's second best option, given the brokenness of death, totally. and, destruction, and you get sin, to see evil, and some of that, like like the unpacking of the story of Joseph. Um, when you actually realize, well, no, when 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 Jacob gave him a, a cloak, he was picking him as his heir, and he wasn't the firstborn son when he took all of the brothers together, but he was the firstborn son of the person he'd chosen to call his real wife, even if she was the second wife. And so now, like, there's a huge problem of, like, you know, like, that's what happens when you have polygamy. Who gets to who gets to be the descendant? Who gets to be the line? Yeah. And it's not just, like, who has the kid first, it's not, which is my favorite. Like, you can see all the messiness. Yeah, or the story the of Hagar, and, absolutely. and you have this hot mess, which in the Hebrew, Hagar's the hero of the yeah, story. absolutely. Meanwhile, she... She's deceptive, pretends to be a prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law uh-huh. in order to get pregnant. She's the hero of the narrative. Yeah. What in the world is going on with some of these situations? And it's clear that you have this messiness of a broken world, and God is sort of nurturing and guiding. So, so can God contradict Scripture? Well, no. But yes. Scripture itself is a complicated thing to interpret and understand. Now, with that said... That can be a slippery slope. Totally. Mass. We we recognize that that can be, and I can sense someone out there and like, but wait, what do the uh, the slippery slope? Then it's going to slide all the way to uh, anything goes, whatever anyone feels like they hear from God. And oh yes, we recognize that that's a slippery slope. Totally. Also, this is a real like. We're going to come back to that. But real tangent. I was offended or appalled to find out you guys don't play snakes and ladders over here. You play like shoots and ladders. Shoots and ladders, yeah. It has that cool snakes on that you can slide down. But that always makes it worse. Like people are like, no, you're sliding down a slippery snake now, and this is going to end up like snakes in the Bible are always bad or something like that. <laughs> but but I, I feel that like... That is a tangent. It is. But when you think about like, think about something as broad as, as marriage and how the Bible talks about relationship, even the scripture itself recognizes the complexity of that. Jesus says, like, if you are a man that's married and you leave your wife for another wife, um, woman, that's a problem. Or if you are a woman who takes another man's husband, that's a problem. And then Paul starts to unpack all this and, uh, in the context of a believing community. And he kind of lands at one point on, well, if you have a wife that's an unbeliever that wants to leave, don't try and get them to stay. But if they want to stay, don't send them away. I mean, he's kind of like, and you're like, wait, do those two even line up? You're kind of trying to do some mental gymnastics to figure that out. And then we start asking questions like, wait, if they go, uh, are you allowed to remarry? Is that clear? And and it is like, you're right. It's God's messing with this murky humanity. And so 
there are some great, that, that's why Jesus seems able to come back to um, the greatest commandments of these, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so when you look at things through the lens of, is this loving my neighbor as myself? Maybe things are start, they start to become illuminated for you. Yeah. Um, like, like if it starts to make you ask questions about the orientation of self in almost every decision uh, and, and, and are you willing to sacrifice that for a good of another? Yes. Um, and so it is, it is a hugely complicated issue. Yeah. I, if these things weren't complicated, let's be honest, there would be no need for continual Bible teaching ever. No. And continual uh, pastoral counseling and prayerful consideration of decision making. Because if it was all spelled out black and white, and everything decision was easy, it would just be about f discovering the black and white answer and applying it. And some people think that that's how the scriptures mm -hmm. work. And if that's how they think the scriptures work, is I have this fear that they ha aren't reading the same text that I'm reading, but um, God seems to be a little bit more comfortable with. Uh, with the tensions of nurturing his people back into alignment with what his design was, than we are. We mm. just want this black and white answer to every single question. So the, I guess the the that's the long answer to the question of can God contradict? Well, no, and yes, and no, and yes, and so, no. So 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 yeah, like it it feels like those macro concepts behind Scripture. God's call to us is always faithful to those things. Um, and he's always faithful to his character. Yeah. And so can, maybe a better question would be, uh, will God's voice ever contradict his character and his personality? No. How do we get to know his character and person? Well, the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And then it's a different kind of pursuit as we read the Bible. I don't know. It's a, it's a good question, but yeah. that's, that's how complicated the subject yeah, is. Totally. Fortunately, we've been talking for ages, but is I there would... anything else you want to cover? No. Because we've talked for almost an hour and five minutes. I think. Yeah, it's a long one. But if we're you stuck with us. Like, write an email to Andrea at southfellowship.org, and she'll probably offer you a $25 gift card. Really? No, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Wow. It's an in-joke in our offices because she's offered a few You should still things, email her, though. You should just email and, and see if you can get one. Who knows? Um, That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We have several more episodes on this subject, so if you've got questions. Well, actually, only two. Several, right? Is several two? I don't know. That's Tell us, is several thing. two or a just an undisclosed two. Several number? Several is five to seven. Really? And a few is three to four. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> you have like you have a very precise definition so of these ambiguous this, terms. Uh, certainly couple is a precise yes. thing, but not in parts of America. I've like definitely yeah. had people say to me, like, oh, there's a couple of those. I'm like, no, there's not. Um, but you know. All right. It's just this is my this is my sassy British side that comes out after an hour of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, and we're gonna sign off for the, for the day. But send your questions in, uh, write them in comments sections and stuff and like that. And if you've got like maybe you've got some tension moments with some of the things because we're talking about all these different complicated issues. We went through we textual criticism, to hear them. Um, bibliology, yeah. like all sorts of fun I love stuff. Love it. Yeah. All right. Great to hang out with you guys. Catch y'all later. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.